We're looking at Numbers 20, verses 22 to 29 this evening, which tell us of the death of Aaron. Of course, we need to remember that Moses and Aaron were both old men by now. Many years earlier, over 40 years earlier, Aaron had left Egypt at God's command to meet Moses in the wilderness. You might remember that Moses had had grown up not in the same household as Aaron, but Moses grew up in, actually, Pharaoh's household, and had been raised as an Egyptian, but one day had gone out and killed an Egyptian taskmaster who was abusing one of his fellow Israelites. And when word got out about this, he ran and he went out to the desert in Midian. And there he met a wife and got married and uh, spent a great time out there being a shepherd. And one day while he was out, he saw a burning bush and he went over and said, why is this bush burning but not consumed? And of course, we know that it was the Lord who spoke to him in the bush. And the Lord commissioned Moses to go to Egypt and to bring up the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses balked at this and and said that he can't speak. He's not a very good orator. And the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 14, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. God sent Aaron out to meet Moses in the wilderness, and then he brought Moses and Aaron back to Egypt from the wilderness. He made Aaron in Egypt the spokesman for God during the Ten Plagues narrative. He and his brother Moses co-led the people of Israel out of Egypt. We think about it as being Moses leading the people out of Egypt. But really and truly it was Moses and Aaron. And Aaron was the one who, who often spoke to the people on behalf of Moses or even to Pharaoh on behalf of Moses. Now nothing forms a bond like enduring hardship together, which is why you almost hear of soldiers in a unit talking about their fellow soldiers as their brothers. And you see this close and visible bond, even when they, not only while they're at war, but when they return from war, they stay in touch very often. And there's this solidarity and this bond that they have. It's because they've endured hardship together. When hardship doesn't break a marriage apart, and the man and the woman grow old together, often there is a a powerful bond that just wasn't there in the early years. And it's grown and it's developed because the man and the woman have endured hardship together. Consider the opposition that Moses and Aaron endured together from Pharaoh. And as they led the people of Israel up out of Egypt, consider all the grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Moses and his brother would have formed a close bond. 
Though there was a time in which even Aaron, together with their sister Miriam, opposed Moses, Moses was a gregarious and magnanimous guy. In other words, he was a, he was a big boy. He was, he was broad-hearted and he had thick skin and he wasn't petty. And he got things sorted out. He, he pleaded even that his sister Miriam, who was the ringleader of that rebellion, he pleaded even that she would be healed of her leprosy. And he was reconciled with not only with Miriam, but with Aaron also. So like any brothers, their relationship wasn't perfect and without its struggles, but no doubt they would have been close. Moses and Aaron had seen God part the Red Sea. Well, first of all, they'd seen God do the ten plagues in Egypt. They'd seen God then part the Red Sea. They'd seen God feed and water His people in the wilderness and carry them as on eagles' wings, as as the psalmist puts it much later. Moses and Aaron had seen God strengthen them in war. Moses and Aaron had seen God enter into covenant with the people of Israel. And yes, Moses and Aaron had seen God chastise them, sending a plague at one time and fiery serpents at another, so on and so forth. They had shared in a lot of common history, a lot of opposition, a lot of life-changing and memorable experiences together. No doubt they would have formed a close bond. And when God entered into covenant with the people of Israel, Aaron had been ordained the first high priest of Israel. And Aaron had served in that role for many years now. Remember, we're toward the end of the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites chronologically, as we're here in Numbers 20. It's just been the span of a few chapters, but 40 years have elapsed, and that previous generation is dying out. So Aaron has served really a whole generation as high priest. So his death was a personal loss for Moses, to be sure, as he lost his friend and his brother. But this was also the end of an era for the Israelites. Let's look at a number of significant observations about Aaron's death. First, and briefly, I'll just remind you of its reason. In Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 to 13, we see the people of Israel quarreling with Moses and Aaron because there's no water for the congregation. And Moses and Aaron sin against the Lord, failing to believe in Him and to uphold Him as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel in verse 12. And God says to each of them, Moses and Aaron, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Go down the chapter to Numbers 20 and verse 24. We read the Lord reiterating that this is the reason that Aaron dies now at this juncture. Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Don't want to belabor this point because I've already made it. In fact, I made it again this morning in our series on Revelation. 
But just know that God deals out even temporal punishments, even to people who, who belong to Him and have faith in His promises. The Lord sometimes deals out temporal punishments. Fathers that love their children discipline them. And in the book of Hebrews, we read that God is a father who loves us and disciplines us. And he sometimes deals out temporal punishments for our sin. And this was the case with Aaron. So bear that in mind. And just like some of you had parents that you knew that you you couldn't mess with when you were a kid. And you knew that, that, that belt or that shoe or that cuckoo stick would come out if you started to get a little uh, haughty and a little rebellious and you had a certain kind of respect and fear for your parents, you need to recognize that that is just a little foretaste um, or a little taste, sorry, of what the Lord is like and the kind of fear and reverence with which we should respect and honor the Lord. So first, the reason for Aaron's death. Secondly, the inevitability of Aaron's death. Listen, whether now or later, whether outside the promised land or inside the promised land, it was inevitable that Moses and his brother would be parted by death. Moses and Aaron loved each other. They were close. Not only were they they brothers, but it seems that they were friends. And it was inevitable whether at this juncture or under different circumstances, that Moses and his brother would be parted by death. It was Mark Twain who said, the statistics are staggering. One out of every one person dies. It's the truth, isn't it? That means that every single loved one that you have will be parted from you. By your death or theirs? Everyone. Every friend, every brother, every mother, father, sister, parent, child. At some point, one or the other of you will die. And that relationship will be severed by by death. In view of this, we should prepare for and accept the Lord's providence in this matter. We often see people panicking when a loved one is dying. We see them struggling with their faith in God. How could God do this? Well, listen, God's been doing this every generation since Adam and Eve sinned. There's no one alive now who was alive at the time when Moses and Aaron walked the earth. What Mark Twain said is true. One out of every one person dies. Death is an inevitability. We need to prepare for and learn to accept God's providence in this matter. Avoiding death, avoiding the thought of death, avoiding conversation of death doesn't make it go away. Like a small child who hides their eyes from you and then thinks that you can't see them. Sometimes we, we do the same thing with death and we think that if we, if we don't look at it, it won't know we're here. And it won't come for us. But listen, death is inevitable. You need to prepare for and accept the Lord's providence. In terms of preparing for it, 
you need to realize that it is appointed unto man to die once. And after that, the judgment. And in the seat of the judge will sit the thrice holy God that I was preaching about this morning. And in the defendant's box, you will sit. And all of your righteousness will be as filthy rags. For there is none righteous. No, not one. And yet, there is an attorney, a representative, a priest. And we will come to that in greater detail in a few minutes here. His name is Jesus. And as the judge hands down the verdict that you rightly deserve, your attorney steps in in front of you and bears the punishment that is handed down in your place. And he offers up to the judge acceptable discharge of that punishment so that you, the defendant, are allowed to walk out of the courtroom. He acts as your surety. He acts in your stead. To prepare for death, your own death, is to trust in Christ Jesus, to look in him on, look on him in faith. Moses and Aaron believed what they knew of the gospel, that there would be another prophet like Moses who would one day come, that there was a Lamb of God who would fulfill all the types and shadows and the imageries of the lambs that they saw slaughtered day after day in the Old Testament rituals. They knew what they could know of the gospel at that time, and they believed. And they were prepared for their deaths. We read in verse 27 of Numbers 20. Moses did as the Lord commanded. He stripped Aaron of his garments. And he put them on Eliezer, Aaron's son. And Matthew Henry says, Aaron submits with as much cheerfulness as if he had been going to bed. (laughs) Look, it's sad what we read at the end of Numbers 20, but Moses isn't panicking. Neither is Aaron. These guys aren't losing it. They, they recognize it's Aaron's time to go. And there's, a, there's an acceptance of it. They've made peace with God's providence as men who are not wondering what the afterlife holds, but who recognize as much as had been revealed by that time, that Yahweh is gracious and provided atonement for them, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Moses did all that the Lord commanded him. And as Matthew Henry said, Aaron submits with as much cheerfulness as if he had been going to bed. (laughs) Prepare for death. Prepare for your own death. Prepare emotionally for the death of the people around you. You can't trust in Christ Jesus for them, but make sure they know about Christ Jesus. And be prepared that whether they accept Christ Jesus or not, they will die. That's the way life goes. Aaron's death was inevitable. Prepare for and accept God's providence 
with respect to your death and the death of the people around you. For these deaths are also likewise inevitable. So Aaron's, the reason for Aaron's death we covered. The inevitability of Aaron's death we covered. Now we come to the vacancy created by Aaron's death. Because death is inevitable, God anticipates death and the need, therefore, for the priesthood to be passed down. In Exodus 29 and verse 29, we read, The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. Before Aaron's ever dead, in fact, even in the institution of the Old Covenant, God anticipates Aaron's death and the vacancy that will create, and He gives guidance that one of the sons of Aaron should succeed him. In this particular case, Eliezer takes over for Aaron here in Numbers chapter 20. But eventually Eliezer died. And I don't know off the top of my head, and I didn't look it up this week, who succeeded Eliezer. But eventually that guy died and someone else succeeded him. And so on and so forth. Everyone leaves a hole, so to speak. You're going to die, everyone around you is going to die, and everyone is going to leave a certain shaped hole in this world. Prepare for the vacancies to be created by your death. Specifically, as is relevant to our passage tonight, prepare for the vacancies in the service of the Lord, which will be created by your death. No one lives forever. In that sense, no one is irreplaceable. God's not counting on you to be around for the next thousand years so that you can keep doing what you're doing in His service. He knows you're going to die. You should know you're going to die too. And if what you're doing is important, you should be training and discipling other people to do what you're doing. And if you're not doing anything important, and you realize there really wouldn't be a whole in the service of the Lord if you died. There's something wrong with that picture. Why, why not? Why would there not be a hole? If literally all it means is just that a, a seat would be empty next Sunday. But that no one would be left unevangelized. No one would be left experiencing the lack of hospitality. No one would be left unencouraged. No tasks would be left undone. And you'd just disappear and there would be no hole. Something is wrong with that picture. We need to be doing not only the secular well, working your jobs and paying your bills and all that, but we need to be doing the sacred well. And the body grows and builds itself up in love when each part is working properly. Very often it's said that there's an 80-20 rule where 20% of the people in a church do all the work 
or sorry, do 80% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Whatever the exact percentages are, we can understand that concept. That there is, I'm not even just talking about the formal tasks and the, the organization of the church, but as an organism, what do you contribute to this community of faith? Who are you encouraging? Who are you building up? How are you helping other people act more like Jesus? How are you helping other people understand the scriptures better? Who are you praying for? All of that kind of stuff. There should be a hole left when you go, if you're living right. And because you're going to go, you should be discipling people to make sure that there's a bunch of people doing the kind of work you're doing. So that the vacancy that will be created when you go can be filled. Paul instructs young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is obviously an instruction to pastors to train up other pastors, but it's not just pastors who should be thinking about reproducing. This is the essence of disciple-making, is helping other people. Is, is you reproducing other people who will also reproduce in terms of helping other people become Christians through evangelism and not helping other people grow as Christians through discipleship? There should be a vacancy created when we go. Because you should be doing something meaningful. And then you need to prepare for the vacancies which will be created by your death. By helping and training others to be doing the same sorts of things. So we've seen the reason for Aaron's death. The inevitability of Aaron's death. And the vacancy created by Aaron's death. Namely that there was a vacancy for a high priest. We see that the Lord anticipated that vacancy, made provision for Eliezer to take over. And indeed, Eliezer does take over here. But as I said, even Eliezer eventually died. And Eliezer's son died, and his son after him, and so on and so forth. And the line just kept going on and on like this. This whole system anticipated a need for a better priesthood. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 and 24 read like this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. I gave you a courtroom scene a few minutes ago. I want you to imagine the night before you're hearing, speaking on the phone with your priest, or sorry, with your attorney who acts in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense as a priest, as a surety, as a representative on your behalf. 
And he says, he says to you, tomorrow, when the judge sentences you to death, which is inevitable, I will take your place. And I'll go sit in the electric chair for you. I'll receive that lethal injection for you. I'll go to the gallows for you. So you're confident. Because even though you know you're guilty, and that you know that your sin needs to be atoned for, your crime needs to be atoned for, you know that there is a priest who's going to show up and atone for it on your behalf. Who's going to stand in your place. So you get to the courtroom the next day, and the judge is there, the prosecuting attorney is there, the jury is there, spectators are there in the gallery, and you're waiting for your attorney to show up. And you're waiting and you're waiting. Five minutes go by and ten minutes go by. And you see the judge and the prosecuting attorney conferring together. And another five minutes goes by and then someone comes in and whispers in the judge's ear. And the judge says, I just received word that the defendant's attorney died this morning of a heart attack and won't be here. And so we've, uh, we've appointed a, another attorney to represent the defendant. Well, based on the conversation you had the night before, all of a sudden you'd be distraught because he who was going to save you is no longer going to be able to save you because he himself died. And now he can't stand in your place because he's dead. He's not there. I want you to imagine if you had been a slave in Egypt and then God sent Moses and Aaron to rescue you from Egypt and to lead you out. And God gave a covenant at Sinai to your people. And he appointed Aaron to stand as a high priest. And you were taught and you were instructed and you were observed that you observed that Aaron functioned in your place. He went into the Holy of Holies on your behalf because you couldn't go there. But he had your name engraved on his breastplate and on the shoulder pieces of his ephod. And he would go in there and he would meet with God on your behalf. And you were accepted in him in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God. And He would offer sacrifices in your place, on your behalf. And you started to realize that though we are sinners, God condescends to dwell with us because of the priesthood. Because of Aaron's function as a go-between, as an intermediary in this congregation. And you started to believe that, yes, God forgives sins because of the work of the priests because of the work of Aaron, because of the sacrifices that he offers on my behalf. And then I want you to imagine this scene that we have before us in Numbers chapter 20, in which Aaron dies. When all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, Numbers 20 and verse 29, all the house of Israel wept. Something like that defendant who was expecting an attorney to show up and stand in his place and bear 
his punishment in his room instead, but found out that that attorney died. Something like that is something like, most likely, how you would feel if you were among that generation that had been led out of Egypt and Aaron was the only priest that you had known. There would be this sense of fear and trepidation as you're, you're wondering what will happen now. And though you see Eliezer coming down off the mountain, dressed in the high priestly garb, you wonder if it's going to be the same and if he's going to be effective and efficacious in his work the way that Aaron was, if he's going to be a, a faithful priest and so on and so forth. And as time goes on, the confidence that you would have in the Levitical priesthood would erode further and further. After you had witnessed and had, after you had read the records of generation after generation of Levitical priests die, you would begin to think to yourself, how can these guys rescue me from death if even they themselves die? And how can we be sure that the, the next one that will come will be faithful like the one who came before? Eventually you see unfaithful priests like Eli's sons many years later. You just start to see that there's, there's something lacking in this Levitical priesthood. And it doesn't all quite add up. You would begin to realize that it's all just meant to be a picture. Just like the lambs were just meant to be a picture. After all, how could just killing an animal take away your sin? It doesn't make sense. And if your sin got taken away when one lamb died, why would another lamb have to die? It's like people who bind Satan every Sunday. It's like, well, if you all bound him last week, should still be bound, shouldn't he? Why you got to keep binding him again and again? When you do something over and over, it's demonstrative that the first thing you did wasn't, it wasn't effective. Right? The lambs didn't take away sin. The priests weren't able to save even themselves, let alone anyone else, from the fate of all mankind. You start to realize then that these lambs and these priests were just pictures of something truer and greater and better. And just like if you were in a far country, a picture of your husband or wife is not nearly as satisfying as your husband or wife himself or herself. So there's something so unsatisfying about the priests of old. And yet, there is a likeness, there is a resemblance to something greater and better. Which obviously, as we've seen from Hebrews, is Christ Jesus himself. You might say, but he wasn't able to, to save himself and rescue himself from death. After all, we know that he died on a cross. And so the same thing happened to him as happened to everybody else. So just like Aaron couldn't rescue himself from death, neither could Jesus. Well, you've overlooked a significant thing, which is that Jesus rose from the death. And if that isn't rescuing yourself from death, 
I don't know what is. You see, Jesus did rescue himself from death. Because he rescued himself from death, we can have confidence that he is actually able to rescue us from death. So, is he able to save just a little and to act in your room instead with regard to temporal matters? You know, and maybe propitiate God's temporal wrath so that you don't suffer a temporal judgment and maybe he can kind of like a, like a shaman or medicine man he can kind of make this life a little bit better but in the end death's going to get you now Jesus Hebrews 7 tells us is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Even death is no obstacle to the efficacy of Christ's priesthood. So Aaron's death was because of his and Moses' disobedience at Meribah. It was inevitable. Sooner or later he would die. It left a vacancy. And his death anticipated the need for a better priesthood. And that priest that we need is a priest who never dies. Namely Jesus, who died on our behalf in our room instead, bearing in himself the penalty that we deserve. But then rose and lives forever to make intercession for us so that He can save us to the uttermost. So as we read Numbers 20, we're reading history, but reflection on Old Testament history can help us understand the whole Bible better. And it can help us live well in the present. May these reflections on Aaron's death in the context of the whole scope of Scripture May they help us prepare for death and to trust in the priest who never dies.